So hello and greetings from the Institute for Democracy and Economic Affairs, Malaysia. Thank you for tuning into the ASEAN Prosperity Initiative podcast series. Um, as a background, ASEAN has agreed on an ambitious agenda of economic integration among its member states and primarily through the ASEAN Economic Community Blueprint of 2025 or the AEC Blueprint. Um, through this podcast series, we ask the question of how much progress has been made by ASEAN member states in fulfilling the commitments under the four pillars of the AEC Blueprint. In this episode, we will be discussing um, on the topic of ASEAN global value chains amidst the pandemic as part of the fourth pillar of the AEC blueprint with a the theme of integration into the global economy. My name is Juwita Mohammad. I'm the Director of Economics and Business Unit and Acting Director of Research here at IDEAS. Joining me here today is Dr. Jayan Menon, a Senior Fellow at IC's Yusuf Isha Institute, and he is also a fellow here at IDEAS. Dr. Jayan's work um, mainly focuses on trade and investment issues and economic development in the Asian uh, region, ASEAN region as well. Without further ado, let us get on with our conversation. Welcome, Dr. Jayan Menon. Hi. Hi, Joita. Nice Hi. to be with you. Yes. So you know, with the pandemic and its impact on global value chains during the two year uh, from the onset of the pandemic, do you foresee ASEAN being integrated more seamlessly, not just in the global value chains, but also in the regional value chains um, post-pandemic era? Okay, so I think uh, one of the things that has been clear from the um, pandemic that uh, supply chains or value chains, I'll use them interchangeably, um, have been disrupted initially, and um, they've also been uh, very quick uh, to bounce back um, after the initial uh, lockdowns were eased. So uh, I'm of the view that the pandemic has actually highlighted the resilience of uh, value chains more than their vulnerability. Uh, so um, I think recent calls for increasing resilience is fine as long as it's about improving efficiencies and also uh, operational procedures, you know, and if needs to greater digitalization of supply chain that you know, there's more transparency. Um, the firms can can uh, manage operations effectively and see future sort of uh, disruption more quickly emerging along the supply chain. All of that is fine, but when it's used as a basis for reshoring or nearshoring or friendshoring, as it's turning out to be these days. Uh, you know, moving supply chains to countries that are allies away from countries that are seen as adversaries, then I think that the whole resilience, uh, uh, you know, narrative is wanting. But ASEAN so far, I think, um, you know, has uh, been integrating quite 
effectively at a you know, moderate pace. Uh, the pandemic, I think, won't make a huge difference now that um, we have gone past the lockdown stage and are moving towards a new normal. Uh, but uh, I think we should be concerned about any push to um, restructure value claims in a false sense of uh, resilient improvement. Um, and it's, you know, uh, really all about, uh, uh, you know, moving uh, supply chains uh, home again uh, to try and restore uh, job losses in developed countries. Right, this so-called hollowing out the middle, or this concern about the export of jobs taking place, particularly from the U.S. to develop the developing world and mainly China. I think we should be concerned. Uh, we should be wary of that kind of narrative. Uh, but ASEAN has, uh, you know, a long history of engaging supply chain. I think this will continue as long as they don't buy into that. Uh, you know, uh, reshore uh, narrative. Mm, okay, so you mentioned that our strength lies in our resilient economies within ASEAN member countries. Where else does uh, do our strength lie in when it comes to a single market um, within the ASEAN framework? Yeah, I think within the ASEAN framework, uh, you know, it's more the single production base uh, concept than the single market that matters. I don't think uh, the ASEAN market itself is a major uh, driver of foreign investment yet. Of course, ASEAN is uh, dynamic and growing, and it's becoming more and more important in the global sense, in the global world. But, um, you know, it's still pretty much the single production base driving uh, value chain. And Hagen has many, I mean, its greatest strength is its diversity, right? You get the full range of, uh, of you know, factor endowments, factor prices, uh, technology, populous countries, city-states. That diversity is perfect for uh, a regional value chain, um, and uh, and it has been uh, in the past, and I think it will continue to be in the future. Uh, there is conversion taking place, but this will not take away uh, diversity anytime. The diversity anytime soon, uh, um, and so I think that's strength. Uh, ASEAN also uh, provides an environment. Always been friendly to uh, foreign investment, uh, foreign labor. Uh, it has been an important part of the story in the past, and I hope it'll continue to be in the future. Uh, although there has rise in anti-globalization sentiment that I'm sure you're aware of, uh, that has uh, manifested in um, restrictions on factor flows particularly uh, labor. So I hope that the barriers raised in the name of the pandemic on uh, labor movement mm -hmm. will not stay in longer than they need to be uh, once their need is uh, gone. And their need has almost gone already. So, 
you know, there is this rise of anti-globalization sentiment and rise of nationalism. Uh, even in Malaysia, uh, you would have seen the discussion about whether we should rethink, uh, you know, our reliance on foreign labor. I think that's short-sighted. Uh, foreign labor has always been an important part of the story in producing the uh, supply chain development and benefits in the region. And um, as long as we don't uh, give up on that uh, uh, and buy into the, uh, you know, anti-globalization fear-mongering, uh, ASEAN will continue to be a very attractive place for uh, supply chain investment and growth. So you mentioned that during the pandemic, the global value chains were impacted um, negatively. Do you think um, being a member or a part of the RCEP or a CPTPP agreement would remedy the, the, these, this issue of bottlenecks in the supply chain in the next few years to come? I think, uh, you know, the uh, bottlenecks in the uh, supply chain has a lot to do with the uh, pent-up demand uh, from years of uh, lockdown and the pandemic and the subsequent unevenness in the recovery process. So you've had a very sharp but uneven recovery uh, that has put on stresses in at different points of the supply chain um, in different sort of uh, industries. But uh, the thing about supply chains is that if one uh, node is overloaded, then the whole chain can kind of collapse because every node is important in uh, delivering the final product. So I think that's uh, the main factor behind this, uh, the, behind a lot of the disruptions that we have seen lately along the supply chain and also in ports and the other logistical, uh, you know, congestion, uh, which is again the sharp uh, increase in demand after years of uh, lockdown. Um, so I don't think RCEP or CP, CPTPP will do very much in the short run about that. Uh, RCEP and CPTPP are important for keeping the faith, right, and ensuring that we don't resort to protectionism, uh, that we keep uh, trade facilitation moving forward and keep the rules-based uh, order or, or the rules-based trading system uh, operating uh, efficiently, uh, especially when, you know, the WTO is uh, going through uh, its uh, uh, own difficulties. Um, but with the, you know, with the uh, weakening of multilateralism uh, generally. But uh, so R7 CBTPP, I think, will keep, uh, you know, protectionism at bay. And uh, in the longer term, it will ensure that supply chain relocation can take place. Supply chains need to uh, keep uh, moving and shifting in order to survive and grow. And uh, we want to make sure that, that uh, countries don't start blocking off or interfering too much 
with this natural sort of uh, evolution of supply chains. That's where I think, uh, you know, mega regionals like RCEP and CBTPP uh, can play a role. Um, and this is a longer term process. The bottlenecks will soon be gone anyway once we readjust to this new normal. Okay, so um, coming back to what's happening um, between Russia and Ukraine and also trade tensions between um, the US and also China, to what extent do these geopolitical tensions pose a threat to the regional value chains as well as the global value chains, again, coming out of the pandemic? What is your take on that? Right. Um, okay. So I think, um, you know, the uh, geopolitical uh, issues are important. And, you know, the uh, Russian-Ukraine uh, uh, war uh, is not helping at all. It wouldn't have helped with or without uh, supply chains or value chains operating. But, uh, you know, it's mainly affected uh, energy trade. Uh, and energy supplies, uh, as well as, you know, other types of uh, uh, raw materials and uh, uh, some food commodities, right? So it hasn't actually had a major impact on, in the manufacturing value chains directly, because neither country is a major part of those uh, manufacturing uh, uh, global value chains. But it has indirectly through you know, uh, fuels, uh, commodities, and and uh, some major food items, uh, including wheat and so on. Um, so I I don't think uh, there's a direct link with value chains. It's just it would have uh, affected the global uh, economy uh, adversely, pushing up prices, pushing up costs, energy costs, uh, anyway, right? Uh, because of the supply restrictions um, that it's causing. So uh, uh, I, I think there's a tendency these days to try and, you know, uh, link everything to the nature of supply chains or the way in which goods are produced in many countries. Uh, sure, I mean, you know, uh, uh, it, sometimes it can appear as if it increases the risk because, as I said, as long as one node or one segment is affected, the whole supply chain uh, can collapse. But um, diversifying your supply chains uh, actually reduces overall risks because it also allows, uh, you know, shifting activities quickly out of affected regions or countries. That is the dynamic benefit or dynamic nature of supply chains that provides that benefit of restructuring quickly, uh, which would not happen, you know, if we were concentrated in just one or two countries. I see. So my last question would be on, again, looking ahead, looking forward. So moving forward into the endemic phase, what are your thoughts on the items or the deliverables um, that we need to pay attention to um, to accelerate progress in the area of GVCs within ASEAN countries in the next few years to come? 
I think, uh, you know, the challenges that we need to try and overcome uh, are as follows. Firstly, I think the U.S.-China trade war, um, you know, that's what it is. It is a trade war. It's not helping either country or this region or the world, right? And the longer it continues, the worse uh, it'll be. Uh, the problem there now is that uh, we don't see any clear roadmap towards a resolution of uh, these tensions, and that needs to be addressed. Uh, you cannot move China out of the global value chain. Um, you know, you cannot decouple China uh, from, from uh, the U.S. or any other country, right? And any effort to continuously try and do this uh, is going to, you know, uh, be costly and unsuccessful. So I think that's the first thing that we have to focus on, is trying to reduce those uh, tensions. I think we also have to be, as I said earlier, wary of the uh, rise in anti-globalization sentiment. These sentiments were rising even before the pandemic, but they've been accelerated by the pandemic. So anti-globalization advocates have found fodder in the pandemic and have used it quite effectively in making their case uh, for, you know, um, uh, retrenchment of activities uh, back home. Except now is posed as not policy, but values. And this is the scary part, right? When people start talking about resilience, right? which is hard to argue with, or sustainability, or, you know, national self-sufficiency, then they appear as good things that you should have, when really uh, it's protectionism in new clothing, basically, right? So I think that's what uh, we have to be very careful about. Um, Globalization and global value chains are very intricately linked and the future of both are linked as well. And, you know, globalization has delivered huge benefits. Uh, in fact, it hasn't actually caused this uh, pandemic. Uh, it might have contributed to the speed of its spread, but it also was critical in producing the vaccines that now allow us to manage this pandemic and move to an endemic stage. So uh, we should not give up on globalization yet. And I think we should be wary of those uh, detractors that suggest that uh, it's time to look at a new model where you are more self-reliant, you're you know, uh, more self-sufficient, um, and this would provide for greater, greater resiliency when really all they're talking about is uh, rent-seeking or transferring rents uh, and, you know, uh, basically, uh, you know, succumbing to vested interests. So we should be wary of the new protectionism and the new labels under which uh, they're emerging uh, if we want to guard against uh, the threats uh, uh, against global value chains. Thank you, Dr. Jayamanan, for your invaluable insights. I do agree with you that it's almost impossible to decouple GVCs from globalization, and I do hope that globalization is here to stay. 
So with this, um, let us end um, this podcast and I hope to be able to see you, Dr. Jayamanin, physically um, in Malaysia sometime very soon. Take care. Thank you, Jyotia. Same here.